I'm Lieutenant Joe Pangaro. I've been a cop for 27 years. I like to say I got a backstage pass to life. Well, guess what? I got some tickets for you. So come on in, pull up a chair, turn up that volume, and let's go. Chasing Justice is on. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Chasing Justice. I'm your host, Lieutenant Joe Pangaro. So, like I have been in the past couple of weeks, I am currently coming to you from afar. I am not in my uh, safe little studio ensconced in the shore of New Jersey, where we call it God's country. I am now in the upper parts of the state of New York, in the area of Syracuse. Now, I got to tell you, it's beautiful up here. Uh, you know, right now, uh, we got changing weather, right, as the seasons change, as we move forward. Uh, it, it in, in the Jersey Shore, it was in the 60s and the early 70s. Believe it or not, I'm up here in Syracuse, and it's mountainy, you know, really nice. Uh, it is, today it was 94 degrees. Very, very warm up in this part of the world, uh, and I don't know why. But I am enjoying it because it feels like summertime is here. So what am I doing up here? Well, like in uh, all weeks in the past, I, I do safety and security assessments for schools, churches, businesses, any groups where people get together, uh, summer camps, movie theaters, uh, anything. And I was asked to come up to this area to do an assessment uh, at a facility to make sure that they are doing all they can to be safe and secure and do the best thing they possibly can for all the people that use their facilities. So I'm also having uh, an assistant come up. I am going to have uh, Captain Barry, uh, Captain Barry Cohen, who we're going to interview him probably tomorrow night or the next night to talk about the state of modern police work, what he sees going on, and maybe just have some fun. Uh, but I'm, I'm, the reason I'm bringing Captain Barry up is because I am scaling the, uh, the, the world of threat assessments, human assessments is growing and growing and growing because the danger is growing and growing and growing. More and more people are concerned about safety and security, and they want to make sure that their schools, businesses, homes, warehouses, and everything else are safe, and that's what I'm doing up here. Now, let me tell you about the area. It is, you know, Syracuse is a big city. It's got a lot going on there, but the surrounding areas, I was up here, I don't know, four or five years ago with Miss Kathy. Uh, I had done an assessment for a school district up this way, and, I did the assessment. I was here for probably a week, went back, sent them their report, and the school board said, could you come up and present this to us and answer questions for us about your assessment? And I said, sure. Now that's five or six hours from my hometown. So we came up and we uh, we did the presentation. We stayed in these beautiful little towns up here. I mean, American flags everywhere, blue police flags everywhere. People love their police. They love the military up here. It's kind of hard to even think that you're in New York, but you really are. And they really do have a, a love for their for their local police. I stopped in a couple of PDs to say hi. People are uh, reached out to me uh, from this area that had purchased my newest book, The Investigation, which you can get at Blue360 Media, or you can pick it up on Amazon.com, Blue360 Media or Amazon. That's The Investigation by Joe Pangaro. So I had a couple of people uh, who bought the book. Actually, three officers and two non-officers from this area bought the book and had reached out to me to tell me how much they liked it. And I said, hey, guess what? I'm coming up to that area. Why don't we uh, go out and have a cocktail and uh, talk about it? So that's actually on the agenda for this week. But what's up here is this farmland. <clears throat> Excuse me. 
it's rural. Um, there are some big towns tucked in here and there. Syracuse obviously is a big place, and when you're on the highway coming up, I think I was on Route 81 coming up here, and just a beautiful, majestic rolling hills, valleys, really, really nice. I, I gotta say, I, I really did enjoy the ride. But I get up here, and I'm in these little towns, and it, it just seems so refreshing, you know, when you talk to people. Um, about America. They love America. And that's that's interesting because usually in New York, politically, um, the whole state is ruled by little outposts of our friends on the left and New York City, which is pretty much all on the left except for um, areas like Staten Island, which is very Republican. Um, Long Island is much more Republican than other parts of, of New York, but not enough to overcome the, the, the 8 million people in New York City who are very far to the left and they, they always vote for the left-wing candidate, which is why New York, uh, New York goes blue all the time. It doesn't go red. So anyway, being up here is, is really, really, really nice. It's, it's refreshing to talk to these people and they say, oh, you're, you're former law enforcement. Thanks for your service. You know, I mean, it's very nice for people to say that. Uh, Pro-military, and like I can't tell you how many American flags uh, are hanging off these houses and blue line flags. And you say, there can't be that many cops. And it turns out uh, restaurants have them up. People have them on their cars. It is really wonderful. And I want to thank everybody for that. Next, I want to keep in mind, Bill from the neighborhood, Bill Dallas, the, uh, the man of faith. Bill had reached out to me about a week ago. And he said, I have a great idea for something we could do for a Memorial Day program. And I said, what's that, Bill? He goes, there's a great speech by Ronald Reagan, gave a memorial speech. Why don't me and you and the boys from the neighborhood each read pieces of it? Now, I don't like reading on the show here. I don't like to read rote from things. Uh, but I said, you know what? That's not a bad idea. We can certainly maybe, maybe do that. And as one thing worked out another, I don't know how your weekends work out. But, you know, things kind of get away with you. Next thing you know, I'm traveling again for business. So we didn't get a chance to do that, but I got a chance to read it over. And if you get a chance, Ronald Reagan's Memorial Day speech, uh, absolutely wonderful. When you, when you read the words of Ronald Reagan, you see it, it points to a different time in our country and a different way that we felt. I remember what it was like when he was the president. And now people are trying to rewrite history and say it was this, that, and the other. But his, his economy, his policies whether you liked him or not. His policies gave us 20, 25 years of economic expansion and growth that really changed America. Uh, and that's what we should look at all our politicians. You know, you don't know what they're like personally. They're to the left, they're to the right, whatever. Maybe they're nice people, they're not nice people. Maybe they tweet funny things or incompetent things. But what do their policies do? That's what we need to look at. What, what, will, what do their policies do? What will they do uh, to how we live every single day? Which brings us to this, uh, this debt ceiling bill. Well, this was a big fight. And I have to say some people that I really like and I think are, are decent on the right are upset with this bill. And I get that. It's not, it's not the budget we should have. It's not the plan we should be going with. But the reality is we only control one House of Congress. We only have a few votes uh, in the, in the uh, House of Representatives. We don't have 400 people in the House of Representatives. We don't have uh, 72 senators. Uh, our friends on the left control the Senate. 
we only have a few extra seats, and some of those seats in the Congress are rhino Republicans. They're not even real conservatives. So while I, this bill is not everything I would say, and I, I am against the fact that the military spending is down, that should be pumped up uh, beyond inflation. We have China, we have Russia, we have North Korea, all nipping at our heels now to do something uh, in the last two years of the Biden administration because they know he's weak, they know he won't respond properly, uh, and this is when they're going to they're going to do things and maybe take some aggressive action. And we need to be prepared to respond. Now, I heard the other day we went from 298 surface ships to 291. So we lost seven surface ships. You don't think that makes a difference. Well, what happens when you need that one Navy ship to win a battle that changes the course of a war? Well, we're down seven, right? Our military should be the biggest, strongest, baddest thing out there on the entire planet. Uh, and that's what's gonna keep us safe. Just like having uh, fully funded, well-trained, and officers in numbers enough to quell crime. That's the only thing that, that keeps us safe. Uh, and if we, if we lose our military, that's a problem. So in, in general, I'm not pleased with this bill. I don't think it's the best bill in the world. And, and, I, and I hate these people saying, you know, never let the, the good be the enemy of the perfect or whatever it is. The reality is we're not going to get perfect. We're lucky we got what we got. A clue to the fact that we didn't get a great bill is that we have so many of our friends on the left saying they're willing to vote for it and they're... They're, they're making fun of Republicans who won't vote for it. That's kind of interesting, right? Uh, it's a Republican bill. And some of our, our friends on the right are just saying, I'm not going to vote for it. It's not the right thing. Well, what's your choice? What is your choice? Um, you have to look at logic. And I have to look and say, is it better than the bill that our friends on the left would have proposed? Yes, it's a lot better. They would have proposed $4 trillion in additional spending. Uh, no cap on anything. They would have went, uh, all of these woke programs would have been funded to, to the yin-yang. Now we've cut back on that. We've gone back to 2022 spending. Now it doesn't, it's not, it's, it's, it's not a long time, six months, seven months ago. But it is back. It is not going forward. Um, I see our friends on the left are, are touting, trying to figure out how they can say that they didn't uh, give in and cave in, which they did. They had to cave in. Biden had to cave in because the Republicans... Uh, whether you like the bill or not, they stayed strong and said, we're not going to cave in this time, which they always do. Republicans always cave in. They didn't. And we have to give them credit where credit is due. Now, it, it's not a perfect bill. It's not a great bill. It is a bill that's better than what our friends on the left would have given us. And in all, all, all honesty, um, had there been a little more time for a little more pressure, a lot of our friends on the right would have buckled and gave in to some crazy left-wing spending plan. So as a first step, um, what it does is it puts all those Republicans on notice, and it puts you and me on notice, puts all of us on notice as well, that uh, they have 18 months, right? So they're going to do two years of a, of a spending increase uh, within this budget, and then we have to find ways to continue to cut spending and get back. Now, how it puts us on notice is that there's going to be elections. At some point, there's going to be elections coming. And who are we going to vote for? Are you going to vote for your uh, dopey congressman who is a rhino and doesn't stand up for the things that we need to be done or you believe? Or are you going to vote for somebody on the left who's going to take us right back to economic damage, who's going to make us weak again? I mean, 
these are really the choices. And it's not because people are good or bad or who's better than who. It's what policies actually work. And the policies that actually work are more in line with conservatives and with those on the right than with those on the left. Those on the left, those policies are damaging to our country. They're damaging to our freedoms. They're damaging to our liberties. They're damaging to our wallets, uh, to our, our, our fuel. They're damaging to everything. That's just the reality. Um, you know, might be very nice people, might have great intentions, but they don't know how to get to where we need to be. Matter of fact, they're trying to take us in another direction. Where do you want to go? Which way do you want to go? I want a strong military. I want fully funded law enforcement, well-trained. And if we have to do some reforms to figure out how can we have our police provide better policing for us, for all of us, for every community, I'm 100% for that. Um, woke police departments will not keep us safe. All right? You have to have um, strong enforcement of law. If we don't like the laws, then we have to demand that our, our political representatives change the laws. Right? I'm not a big fan of motor vehicle stuff. I'm just not. Now, do I want an unsafe vehicle riding around that could crash into me or my family? No, I don't. And I think if, uh, if we find an unsafe vehicle riding around, the officer should stop it. If it's really unsafe uh, to be on the road, then it should be removed from the road. Uh, and that's unfortunate, but we can't have those kind of unsafe vehicles. But somebody, um, you know, weaves and you stop them and you find out they're not intoxicated. Okay, they weaved. Move on. Um, if they run through a stop sign, I don't know if they rolled through the stop sign and there was no other cars there, they didn't almost hit you. Okay, you want to stop them and say, hey, you know, what, you know, you rolled through a stop sign. Okay. What I don't like is when motor vehicle uh, laws are enforced only to raise uh, money for municipalities. And I know nobody, oh, that's not true, it's not, it is true. And, and a lot of my, you ask some cops that are, uh, that are in the know and they'll tell you, listen, we don't have a quota, but if you don't write tickets, man, you, you're, gonna, you're gonna suffer the consequences. And there's two sides of that, okay? So, so all the supervisors out there, uh, I was a supervisor and I get it. One of the things that our officers are charged with doing are enforcing the criminal laws, uh, local ordinances, and motor vehicle law. That's what we have, uh, we have established these laws, we expect them followed so that cars are safe, people drive safely. I get it, 100%. One of the things that officers do are enforce laws. How do, you, how do you judge if an officer is doing their job, right? Well, the only thing you can do is look at their work product. Are they stopping suspicious people? Are they making arrests for people with warrants? Are they getting people with heroin and arresting those people? Are they getting illegal guns and uh, other weapons off the street? Are they arresting people who hurt people? We, we can quantify those. Hey, you made so many arrests, you're doing a good job, you're being productive, right? Um, motor vehicle, mm, on the other hand, I get it. Um, it is part of the job, uh, but a lot of states uh, have now decided that they're no longer going to look at the number of car stops an officer makes or how many tickets an officer makes because there's a big belief in, in a lot of the people who are anti-police that those that there's still quotas, that officers are still required to make certain quotas. Uh, you have to write 500 tickets or you, you're not gonna get a promotion or a transfer. And while there are no quotas really anymore, there are standards, and I've talked about this before. A standard is a benchmark by which we can identify if someone is doing their job. If I had a company that put in toilets and I hired people and I said, listen, I expect you to put in 10 toilets a week and I have five employees 
and four of them are putting in 10 toilets a week. Matter of fact, three of the four are putting in 15 toilets a week. But one employee is only putting in four toilets a week. Well, when I compare that employee to the other four, it seems to me that they're not meeting standards. They're not doing the job that they were hired for. So I have to investigate and find out why aren't you putting in a minimum of 10 toilets? The rest of your co-employees are doing it. Are you having a problem? Do you not have the equipment? Do you not have the tools? Do you not have the training? Then it's on me to help them. Well, the same thing with our law enforcement officers. Uh, you know, how do we tell that they're out there doing a job? We have to count some things. What do they do? My big point here is that if we don't like the things that the police do, we don't think that uh, certain things need to be done, then we have to change the laws. We don't complain to the police that they're doing their job. What we do is we go to the legislature and we say, okay, um, we're no longer going to issue tickets for motor vehicle violations. What we will do is give everyone a... I don't know, uh, an appearance ticket to go tell a judge why they have bull tires. Uh, and there'll be no fines involved with it, no points on your license, but it'll be inconvenient. And you'll have to either go to the judge and show the judge, hey, looks, and I bought tires. The officer stopped me, they were bold, and I bought tires. That makes the vehicle safe, right? Or do we not want our cops stopping people for minor things anymore? So unless we see them committing a crime or there's a crime reported that someone's been involved in, do we want to, to stop the officer say, listen, that's not part of your job anymore. You don't have to stop vehicles. You don't have to stop suspicious people. You don't have to stop people you think are up to no good um, because uh, that, that gets you involved with people that maybe don't want to be arrested. Maybe people who have warrants and they don't want to go to jail and then you fight with them and people get hurt. We, as a society, have to decide what we want our officers to do. What do we want the level of police work to be? All right? So that's that's kind of where I'm, I'm looking at this and, and trying to figure out, um, you know, what is what is it we expect from our officers and, and our society in general? And that's this this bill, uh, this bill. See, I got around that. I got around, around, and around. I'm coming back to it now. This spending bill, while it's not the best, it is what we have available to us to at least start going in the right direction. So just like to, to solve some of the law enforcement concerns we have about officers interacting with citizens, we have to go to our politicians and say, maybe we have to change how we expect that to happen. Well, the same thing here. If we want a strong military, then you have to go vote for people who are gonna vote for a strong military. If you want police fully funded so your neighborhoods are safe and secure, you have to go vote for people who are going to bring police officers into your community and are going to enforce the law and they're going to push the officers to do the right thing. Well, that's what this bill is all about. You know, well, what what priorities do you have and vote for the people who are going to back them up? Because we have a slim majority in the House, just enough to get this bill through. And while I agree it's not the greatest thing in the world, we cannot allow our country to default. I know some people were pushed there and that's why Biden had to cave Right? That's why he had to cave and give in to what the Republicans were asking, even though it's limitedly limited good at best. He had to do that because if not, there was some kind of calculation that the, most people would think he was to blame. And he didn't want to be to blame for you know, a default for the first one in our history. So therefore, he caved in. Okay, So wherever you stand on this bill, um, make sure your, your point of view is known and vote. 
vote, vote, vote for whatever it is that you want, because we are at a, a huge turning point in our nation as a people. Uh, we, have, we have big things coming up to choose and decide, and unless we win decisively in the next couple of elections, um, it's going to continue this middle of the road, not quite what we want, definitely what we don't want back and forth. We have to decide uh, and, and make that decision as a people. And it's not you and me chasing justice people, I know. It's not you and me. You know, we kind of understand what we're looking for, what we need, what our country needs. But we have to talk to people, talk to our family, talk to our friends, and make a good case. Don't don't, don't use platitudes and, and accuse people of this, that, and the other thing. Just just talk to numbers. Talk to numbers. You know, I, I, I could go on and on with that. I'm not going to. All right. Um, so we, we have this. <laughs> I don't know. It's early for the presidential election, but it looks like it's coming down to DeSantis and Trump, obviously. And there's a couple of bit players. And are they are they really out there for the presidency? Or are they looking to be vice president? Because Trump has kind of made it clear that if he gets it, he's not going to pick DeSantis. And I don't think DeSantis would want to be Trump's vice president. Let's think about that for a minute. <laughs> I saw, it was Fox News the other day, they do the morning show. I like their morning show, it's fun. Um, And they were in a diner in Florida, and they were asking these people, you know, who are you going to vote for? And half of them were on it for Trump, and half of them wanted for DeSantis. And they talked to one woman, and they said, well, who are you picking? And she says, I want either one of them. They're a a million times better than Biden or anybody on the left. So either one, I don't care. Uh, I'm going to vote my heart when I walk into the booth. But it's going to be Trump or DeSantis. What would be best would be a Trump-DeSantis ticket, right? With Trump at the head, he wins. He gets to be president for four more years. Then he's done. And then we get Ron DeSantis for eight years, okay? Uh, Now, that sounds great until you realize that you now have egos, personalities, and everything else involved here. Um, Ron DeSantis is building a big case that he should be the nominee. Lots and lots of people like him. I like him. I think he's, uh, he looks like he'd be a pretty good president. Uh, I also think Trump was a good president, and I think he would be again. Tweets aside, right? Um, but as we go down this road, uh, the people are going to decide. And when it gets to my state and I get to pull a lever, I'll pull the lever for who I decide at that moment I think would be best. Um, if I see a shift one way or another, I might say, hey, either one of these guys would be a good president. And if it looks like DeSantis is up 72% to Trump 20% or something, I might pull a lever for DeSantis and really enforce that for him, really give him a mandate. Same thing going the other way. If Trump is way up, I might just vote for Trump and give him the, uh, the mandate. But either way, it's an interesting battle that's coming down. Um, I, I don't trust the rhinos in the Republican Party to support Trump if he gets it. I think they'll back away from him again the minute the press starts barking. Um, But I like Tim Scott. I like Tim Scott a lot. I think Tim Scott is the future. Uh, So maybe you'll have a DeSantis Scott ticket. Now, that would be tough to to ignore. I mean, if DeSantis came out and said, hey, I'm going to pick Tim Scott, um, you know, because he's the closest one to Trump, that might change some people's minds because I think a lot of people like Tim Scott. Oh, my God, Lieutenant Joe, how could Republicans like Tim Scott? He's an African-American. Because what we've been telling you for years and years and years, people on the right really don't care about race. They don't, they don't care about that. They care about policy. 
what best policies are going to help our country to do better. Tim Scott is espousing great policies. He seems like a really good, decent man. So therefore, I don't care what color his skin is. I would vote for him. I like him because his policies are good and he seems like a good guy, right? And I think lots of Republicans are that way. They really don't care. You know, they paint Republicans as racist and this and that, and they're really not, you know. Uh, there, there's, there, of course, and there's always going to be people out there that are idiots and think, and think hateful things. And I disavow all of them, right? I think every person should be a person. Judge them on the content of their character, not the color of their skin. I believe that. And I think uh, Dr. Dr. King said that very clearly, and it's, it's probably one of the truest, best messages ever to go around. Uh, so therefore, there you go. That's my opinion on that. All right. So when we talk about um, these, these elections, I guess the question that I want to pose here in the last minute or so of this segment is, do we think people will vote in their best interest, even if it goes against what their big mouths have been saying for the past couple of years? So what do I mean by that? Um, Will rhino Republicans who are never Trumpers, never Trumpers, never Trumpers, I won't do it. Will they turn around and say, you know what? Uh, Trump has the nomination. He's better than Biden. And our country needs a strong Republican as opposed to a weak Democrat, socialism and all that other stuff. And therefore, I have to vote for Trump, even if I don't like him, even if he tweets do you think our rhino friends will be able to do that? Will they have the guts and the backbone to do that? I'm concerned that they don't, but I certainly hope that they will. And same thing for our friends on the left. Do you think they can look at now and say, okay, we've had two years of everything we could have possibly wanted. We have a pliable, weak, uh, very, very progressive, liberal president who will do whatever the left wants him to do. Uh, he has done things to damage the economy the way they want it done. He has been anti-American. He has been pro-mask. He's been pro-vaccine, even in the face of, of, of evidence that maybe that wasn't the best thing to do. Um, will they say, you know what? Maybe, maybe we should be in energy independent and figure out how to do wind power and solar power in the right way. But in the meantime, we need all the energy we can get. Let's open up the fields. Let's go back to drill, 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 baby, right? Um, will we say, even though the orange man, I couldn't stand it. Um, people around the world respected America. They were afraid that America would fight back, that America would bite if you did the wrong thing. Our enemies respected that, right? So that's what I'm, that's the question I'm asking. Do you think people will vote in their best interest, not in the interest of maintaining the nonsense they've been saying for the last couple of years? I don't know. I don't know people are big enough and strong enough in character to do that. Um, I'd like to think I would be able to do that. And that's why I say I don't like the things, some of the things Donald Trump says, but his policies were good. Um, I didn't care for the policies of Barack Obama, but I think he was a good and decent man and he was a good family man. He just, his policies were bad. I didn't, they didn't help our country, right? All right, everybody. So listen, I want you to think about that um, as we end this first part of our little get together. And keep in mind that we can always talk to people, make our case, but have facts, do the right thing, get some facts together uh, and make good arguments. That's the only thing that's going to change things. You have the power to change things. We'll be back in a minute. 
Whether you're an independent, a Democrat, or a Republican, one thing remains true. Airborne viruses love us equally. You've all heard Malcolm and the great Dr. Peter McCullough talk about the advanced nasal solution, Cofix Rx. Cofix is made in the USA and recommended by thousands of doctors and pharmacists nationwide. Did you know that doctors and nurses have been swabbing their noses with povidone iodine to protect from airborne threats like colds, flus, and pandemic era strains for decades? Cofix Rx took that idea and made a more complete nasal formula with lasting cleansing effects. Maybe you're traveling soon or going to an event. Are you concerned somebody nearby might be sick? Maybe the office or classroom stresses you out. Get yourself a bottle of Cofix Rx nasal solution. Spray goodbye to colds and flus with a Cofix Rx nasal solution cleanse. That's cofixrx.com. Save 20% by using promo code OUTLOUD at cofixrx.com. In 2008, people could spend an average of 12 seconds on a task without becoming distracted. Five years later, it was only eight seconds. The digital age is narrowing our attention span. Trouble concentrating or recalling information is frustrating, embarrassing, and kills productivity. Advanced Nutrition Company, Healthy Cell, created Focus and Recall to boost your brain power. And unlike other supplements that don't work, Focus and Recall is not a pill. It's a patent-pending gel you swallow with ultra-absorption of science-backed ingredients to help you immediately sharpen focus, concentrate longer, and strengthen recall. These physician-formulated gels come in a small gel pack. Tear off the top, shoot it down. Thousands of five-star reviews proves it works. Supercharge your brain and see the difference. Go to HealthyCell.com and use limited time code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. Risk-free. Love it or your money back. Guaranteed. HealthyCell.com. Code OUTLOUD. Here we take on the challenges of our generation so that we can preserve future generations. AmericaOutloud.com. Seven amazing years. We know that if America fails, the world will fail. It is incumbent upon us to carry the torch for liberty. America Out Loud Talk Radio. Liberty and justice for all. All right, then. Here we go. So here I am on the road. I told you that. I'm in upstate New York. Uh, one of the, my favorite places up here in upstate New York is the Adirondack Park. All right, now I'm farther up than the Adirondack Park, but I got to tell you, uh, the Adirondack Park, if you've never been, it is a pristine, beautiful um, wilderness of great mountains, big mountains, you know, not, not Pocono-style mountains. These are big old mountains, uh, beautiful forests, great parks, uh, fresh, clean water, lakes, rivers, and streams. Uh, it's a protected area. It's really wonderful. Matter of fact, uh, some friends of ours, uh, they are been blessed to be very, very well-to-do. Um, and they, their family has been uh, well-to-do for over 150 years. They got in the right businesses back in the day. Um, and one of the things that their family has done is they have a lease on some property uh, in the Adirondacks, inside the park, along um, a couple of great lakes, uh, Upper and Lower Ossible Lake. So if you look that up on the map, you see where that is in the Adirondacks. The Upper and Lower Ossible Lakes are 
unbelievably gorgeous. I mean, just the, the granite mountains, the trees. I am in love with the, uh, with the, the Adirondack Park. So our friends have this property, right? And uh, that's the, it, they call it camp. They call it camp, right? And I'll tell you all about it in a second. Let's let's go back out. Let's back out of Ossible and let's go to the town. They're, they're in this nice little town, the Adirondacks, and they have a beautiful family homestead. It's called a, um, what, what do they call them? Uh, an Adirondack camp, okay? A great camp. So look that up. Great camps in the Adirondacks. These were built the end of the 1800s, early 1900s. They were built by land barons, railroad barons, uh, big financier people who had all this money because a lot of people from New York City would travel to the Adirondacks in the summer. They were in higher altitudes. It was a little bit cooler, you know, so they built beautiful, unbelievable uh, places to live and to gather and, and get together. And they called them these great camps. So our friend's family is from one of those old families. And like I said, they were blessed with unbelievable resources uh, and they're very wonderful and decent people. You know, if you met them, you'd never know that they come from this, you know, old money, I guess you call it. And they have a house there, a great camp. And I think it's probably got, the main house probably has 12 bedrooms, a couple of bathrooms, a gigantic, beautiful living room a uh, with a big fireplace, a big deck around the outside. The property itself is absolutely gorgeous. Uh, there's a, a game room. There's a science room where they got all these, you know, pelts and skins and bones from, from hundreds of years. Really a, a just an unbelievable place, magical place. And the first time we went up there with our family, I had no idea what a great camp was. And I fell in love with it. And my friends were very generous to let us come up there and, and stay at this home. It's, it's 19, 1901, I think, the home was built. And it's rustic, but it has electricity, and it's just absolutely beautiful, right? So then they say to us, hey, do you want to go to camp? Now, when I think about going camping, right, I think about, you know, a backpack, uh, hiking somewhere, driving my truck somewhere, pitching a tent, maybe a trailer. You know, you make a campfire, some schmores, that kind of thing. Well, they said, no, no, we want to go. We want to take you to camp. Uh, it's this property we have on the upper Ossible uh, Lake. So the lower Ossible uh, is several miles long. And then there's a land, a piece of land, about a mile and a half in between it. And then there's the second lake, upper Ossible Lake. And at the very high end of that lake is where their family's property is. They have a 99-year lease on this property. And I guess probably about 10 years ago, the lease came due and they, they the family got together and re-signed the lease for another 99 years that they leased this property. So I had no idea what this was. And they say, uh, so we're gonna go to camp. We go to this, there's a, I'm trying, like it's like country club, right? This beautiful country club. And we go there, it's you park your cars. And they tell you, you know, uh, from there, a bus takes us about 10 or 12 miles into the river or into the lake. We get out and we get in Adirondack boats and we row up the first lake. We park the boat. We hike across this mile piece of land. We get in another set of Adirondack boats and we go up to the property. So all of this was new to me, as it probably is to you. Now, some of you might know about this, but I didn't know about any of this. So when we, we decide we're going to go, they say, okay, well, we have a cook. There's a cook that's going to come with us and a caretaker. And I said, what do you mean? And I said, yeah, well, the cook goes up ahead of us and he gets the camp set. Um, 
and he'll bring up the food we want. We got to tell him what kind of food we like and he'll cook the food. We have breakfast, lunch, and dinner up on the lake. It's beautiful. And I'm like, okay, that sounds, uh, you have a cook with you, right? So we get to this, uh, we get to this, uh, to this country club and we take this bus and it, you know, it's a whole bunch of people. It's probably 50 people on the bus because a lot of families have property up there. Um, and we get to this first boathouse. Now, you got to think of a boathouse, like a shed. Um, and inside it are these, they look like rowboats, but Adirondack boats are a special kind of boat. Look that up. Look up Adirondack rowboat and you'll see some really cool things. Uh, made of, uh, you know, hardwoods, really finished nicely, special craftsmanship, special kind of rows when you're rowing them. And when I found out that each boat is like six or $7,000 for this rowboat. This is not your tin rowboat with a couple of you know cheap oars. Each boat is six or $7,000. And there's two boathouses when we get up there uh, that store these boats in them. And my friends are like, well, our boats are in that one over there. It was all their family boats. They probably had like 20 of them in this, uh, in this shed building, whatever you call it. Um, so we're there, we meet the cook, he's there. He had already gone up once and brought a bunch of supplies and the food and the, you know, the adult beverages we all wanted. And he came down, he was gonna now guide us up the lakes and get us to the camp. Um, so I got my wife and my kids and my friends and their wives and kids and we get in this boat and we row up the lower Aussible um, lake. It is one of the most gorgeous things I have ever seen. Imposing, gigantic granite mountains hanging over the top of this lake. The sky, just something like out of a painting. Out of a painting you think you'd never see in real life. It's beautiful. Well, we get to the end of the lake and we take the boat out. And there's two more boathouses there. And we put our boats in their family boathouse. Then we have to hike about a mile and a half across this piece of land. Probably some of the most beautiful walk I have ever seen because there's a stream running running next to you. There's wild animals. There's flowers and it just just gorgeous color. Every color green you can imagine. And we get to the next part of the lake and there's two boathouses and our friends go to the one and we pull out our Adirondack boats. Another ten or fifteen Adirondack boats their family owns, and we row that to the top of uh, Aussible, uh, Upper Aussible Lake. And again, magnificent magnificent land mountains you can't believe as we're going by there was um on the on the you know going straight ahead think about going straight ahead on your left all right that isn't how the people on radio describe it if you're looking straight ahead well on your left there's these rock walls um imposing rock walls and at the bottom you could see now this was in july or august we were there and you could see something white inside what looked like a little cave. And my friend says, oh yeah, that's ice that never melts, right? Cause you know, 55 degrees, once you go down five or six feet, it's 55 degrees. Well, there's so much ice and snow up there that inside the cave, it never melts, right? So when he was a kid, he said, we used to go in there and, and still be frozen in August. Well, not kidding, it was still frozen. So anyway, we get to this, um, to the piece of property and there's a dock and we park the boats and we get out. Now, I'm thinking going camping. What did I say? A trailer? A tent? Well, we walk about, uh, I'm going to say 300 yards up this path. Again, the most beautiful, idyllic thing you ever saw of a piece of land. And there is this cabin. You know, one of them log cabin things? And it is bigger than my house. And I said, what's that? And they said, oh, that's the, uh, that's the main house. 
So in there, there's a big gigantic living room with moose heads on the wall, giant fireplace. There's bedrooms in the place. There's changing room. It's it's just it's bigger than my house. It's unbelievable. And I said, okay, well, you know, where does the where does the cook? They said, oh, he's in the cook's house. So I look across the camp, and there's another house, probably about the size of my house, where the cook lives, and all the the food is cooked. The breakfast, lunch, and dinner. They have some nice. Um, some nice places to eat in this place in on in camp and then behind that is a two-bedroom house and that's where the cook lives right he cooks in the cookhouse he lives in there and it's just an unbelievable thing right so i'm telling you this because it, it, it was just such a fun thing and being up here if you've never been up here in upstate new york it is really a beautiful beautiful place to be and the adirondacks is great so let me finish up the story about going to camp so my daughter marisa was young She's at the time, she was probably, I don't know, maybe seven. And we said, hey, where are we going to sleep? And they said, oh, that's a big treat we have. What's that? They said, we're going to sleep in a lean-to on 100-year-old Native American blankets that my family has had for, you know, forever. And I have no idea what they're talking, a lean-to. on the side. I want to sleep in a, inside the building. Right? That's where I want to go. Well, we go up to this lean-to, and it's 10 feet wide, probably 20 feet long, overlooking the lake. There's a gigantic stone fire pit in front of it. And they have uh, the, the cook who got there early cut down fresh pine boughs and laid them inside the lean-to. So this is where we're going to sleep. They're going to put down these Native American blankets and then we put our sleeping bags on top and you sleep outside and you listen to the loons on the lake and you see the stars. It seems like something out of a dream and it, it was. And that's why I'm telling you this. So we go down and we're, we're in the play. We're going to have dinner. So they tell us there's there's two important times here at camp. And I say, what's that? And they said, you got to pay attention to the numbers. Six, seven, five, six. I said, six, seven, five, six. What's that? They said, at six o'clock in the morning, the cook will ring the bell because coffee is ready. So wherever you are at camp, if you hear the bell at 6 a.m. You'll know it's coffee time. You can come to the cookhouse and get coffee. And at 7 o'clock, he'll ring the bell because breakfast will be ready. Bacon, eggs, pancakes, whatever it is you ordered, he'll have that for you. And then 5, 6, when the bell rings at 5 o'clock, you go to the main house and there'll be cocktails uh, and uh, charcuterie boards and all kinds of snacks and stuff. And then at 6 o'clock will be dinner. I'm saying, you got to be kidding me. Uh, This is camping. I've never camped like this before. This was amazing. And sure enough, six in the morning, there's a bell. Bing, 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 bing. One of them big old bells. And you go up there, there's fresh smell of coffee. There's bagels, all kinds. Six and seven in the morning, here's breakfast. And then we spent the day swimming, hiking, fishing. Absolutely, truly amazing. So the end of my story here. So all you've been hanging on, I really appreciate you hanging on and going with me to the Adirondacks. My seven-year-old daughter, Marisa, who at the time was, um, let's just say she she was afraid of a lot of things, right? She was afraid of sharks. She was afraid of uh, packs of wild dogs. Not that she was around those things. Just these are just fears from a kid, right? She was afraid of what's under her bed. Is the creature under the bed? That kind of thing. Well, we all go up to the lean-to and we go to bed and the cook comes up and starts a fire in the fire pit in front of the lean-to, puts down a mosquito net that you can see through. We're listening to the loons. We're laughing and joking. All, you know, both families laying there sleeping, comfortable as you can imagine with fresh pine boughs and blankets and sleeping bags. And we all fall asleep, right? Everybody goes to sleep. Now in the morning, we hear the ding, 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 six o'clock coffee bell. 
So my wife's waking up, I'm waking up, and she looks at Marisa, I see her talking to Marisa, my daughter, my seven-year-old daughter is afraid of everything. And she says, Marisa, those aren't the clothes you were wearing when you went to bed last night. How did you get in different clothes? She goes, oh, well, I was cold when I woke up last night, so I walked down to the main house, went in the main house, and changed and walked back to the lean-to. Now, the lean-to is not 10 feet away. The lean-to is 300 yards away, across a little creek, up a mountain trail, and into the lean-to in the pitch black. No lights at night, pitch black. The, uh, the big house, pitch black. So she got into the pitch black house, got herself changed in the dark, and made it back to the to the, uh, to the lean-to. So we were amazed and shocked. Weren't you afraid? She goes, no, what's there to be afraid of? What she didn't realize is that there were bears there. There were real bears that were sighted all the time. See, because the family goes up there all the time. Uh, they usually go up for a week or two at a time, and family up there keeps notes. Oh, we saw a black bear here. We saw a black bear by the lean-to. We saw a bear over here. There were bears. I went around the back of the main house, and there were fresh uh, claw marks in the back of the house. I said, Marisa, you see this? She couldn't believe it. Talk about, uh, you know, being, oh my God, I was here by myself in the dark and there were bear. I know, I couldn't believe it that you were in the dark by yourself with the bear. So, long and short, the Adirondacks, upstate New York, are beautiful. If you want some place to go, it's very patriotic, it's very pro-American up here. I think you'd really like it. I hope you liked my story. I hope I took you on this trip uh, up to, uh, to camp with our friends. Uh, it was really a wonderful, wonderful time. So since we're talking about nature, right? See, I'm segueing. I'm segueing here. I'm trying to make this a fun show. Everything's heavy with politics all the time. So we're trying to talk about some other things. How about going in the ocean with a great white shark? Would you do that? Would you jump in there with a great white shark? I don't think you would. What do you think? is swimming up and down the New Jersey coast. I think there's eight of them, eight great white sharks, big ones, uh, that they have tagged and they keep track of. So on the Jersey shore here, all summer long, we get reports on these sharks because they go from the Keys in this time of year, they, they go back up to like uh, Massachusetts. And that's where, you know, people get bit up there all the time. You can't always swim off Cape Cod and, and Provincetown. You can't always swim in the ocean because there's great whites there that'll bite you. Um, but then they come back down and they go up and down the Jersey Shore feeding through the summer. And we get these reports. Uh, the, the Shelley, the great white, 1,200 pound great white was off the coast of Point Pleasant today. Uh, and then, you know, two days later, it's by Wildwood. And then here's another one. So it's really interesting. Well, they've tracked eight of them now that are going up and down the coast. And they came in pretty close to the coast. So there's, these things are out there. Great white. See, that kind of goes with my bear story. I'm trying to connect things all together and make this fun. Um, but let's talk a little bit seriousness. So I started talking about we have to decide what we want our police to do. What do we expect our police to do? Well, what's been going on in Chicago? Is Chicago a safe place to go? Chicago is not a safe place to go. It's a dangerous place to go. Uh, I've been there on business a couple times. I was there before the pandemic. Um, 
But I was in a nice area, and I got to enjoy Chicago. It was really cool. I saw the lake. I saw some really cool shopping places, cool restaurants, neighborhood bars. I was like, wow, I see why people like Chicago. Now, of course, I was there in the summer, not the winter. But I said, I see why people like this place. Well, now Chicago has been become a killing ground, right? How many people are shot and killed? Now, over Memorial Day weekend, I think they said there were 58 people shot and 11 people killed. And this was after the new mayor, right, who was elected because the old mayor was an, uh, was a, was an idiot, was a fool, couldn't, couldn't do anything to keep the city safe. This new guy is going to come in and make it better, and he's actually worse, right? So he was touting before the weekend that he's got things in place. He's got monitors, safety, 30 safety monitors that are going to go all over the city and keep people from killing each other. And instead, he has 50-something people shot and 11 killed. So I guess his monitors didn't work so well. Um, Chicago is one of those places that had to make a decision. What was in their best interest? To vote for another progressive left-wing socialist who sees crime as a right of people, who sees innocent civilians uh, as, uh, as victims that should be accepting of their victimhood, uh, and, they, and they do nothing to stop the crime because that would be impeding people's ability to, I guess, do what they want to do. In the meantime, we have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people shot, little children shot uh, by, you know, uh, people drive by shooting each other, shooting it out in the street, hit, going through a window, hitting a kid on a porch, hitting a kid in their bed and killing them. And that seems to be the norm. And Chicago voted for that, again, for someone even more progressive, even more liberal than Lori Lightfoot. This new mayor seems to be even worse. And you say to yourself, why would people vote for that? Why would they vote for something even worse than what they had before? I don't know. It's, it's, it's confounding, which leads me to think that no matter what Joe Biden does, no matter what our friends on the left do, no matter how bad the economy gets, no matter how much crime is in the street, no matter how much gasoline costs, no matter how difficult it becomes for the moms and dads and everybody else out there trying to take care of their kids to put clothes and food and stuff on the table to help them grow, that I think half, if not more, of the country will vote for Joe Biden again. I think there's a very good, probably a better than 50% chance that he wins re-election, even though he's addled, he can't think, he has no respect from the rest of the world, the rest of the world is taking advantage of America. I think there's more than 50% of our American citizens, our brothers and sisters here, across the entire spectrum of our nation, who will vote for him again. And I don't understand why. Have, has, has our nation changed that much? Has our nation changed so much from the time of a, a guy like my father-in-law, Ted, who grew up in a time when America was the, the, the bastion of freedom in the world, from a time when people took care of their families, when the idea of welfare was, was abhorrent, people would rather starve than, than take a handout from the government, from a time when, when you kept your neighborhood safe, you supported the police, you supported the military, you signed up to go help your country. From a time like that, when Ted was, was a young man, to the world we have now, have we gone that far? Is it irrevocable? Can we turn this ship around? Is it possible?
I don't know. When I see Chicago, I think Chicago is a bellwether, right? We saw New York State. New York State. I'm here. I'm talking about it. Half the half the show today talking about New York State. How nice it is, and and but the reality is is that in the city. People are more progressive, more left-wing. They don't care how bad it gets. They will not vote for a conservative. They won't do it. And why is it? What is a conservative going to... Well, it's going to stop their abortions. They can't kill their babies, right? And they want that. They want to be able to do that. And I've said before, that's a legitimate choice. I don't agree with it. But hey, people can make that choice. And they've made that choice. They made that choice in the 22 um, midterms, didn't they? Wasn't that one of the the, the big factors that people uh, voted for is that they were against ending uh, abortion, right? Roe versus Wade. I think I think it was shocking to a lot of people because all the polls told us that 70% of people are against abortion. And then when they had a chance to vote out the people who were pro-abortion, they didn't do it. Matter of fact, they voted the other way. So that's another bellwether. We're looking at these things going just on the nature of the economy, in the old paradigm that we had, all of these Joe Biden people would have been gone in the in the 22 election. Every one of them would have been voted out. It would have been, you know, 300 and something Republicans voted into office, but it wasn't. They barely got enough to take the majority. So it swung a little bit, but it certainly didn't swing the way you would have anticipated. People being tired of living like this would have voted for. So I don't know that people are going to do that this next time around, whether it's Trump, DeSantis, uh, Tim Scott, uh, Mike Pence. I don't know that people are going to vote um, conservative because I don't think people at their heart are that conservative anymore. I think there's a huge cadre of people who are, who believe in traditionalism and want to go back to that. But the evidence on its face value does not appear like that anymore. Otherwise, we wouldn't be we wouldn't be battling like this, right? We would have put down all this wokeness with elections. Would have said no, we're not doing these things. We're not having these kind. We wouldn't have open borders where millions of people are pouring into our country. That granted, they might want a better life, but we can't take care of them, and they're going into our cities and towns where we can't take care of them, right? That would have been put to an end. There would have been a great big strong wall with a door in it, with a door for legal immigration, but the wall would have been complete by now. We wouldn't have all these people pouring over our border, trying to come here for a better life and damaging our country in the meantime. So I, I, can't, I can't say that I'm overly confident that people will do what's in their best interest. And that's probably the other theme of, of this thought process I'm having. Will people do what's in their best interest? Will you do what's in your best interest? Right? And I mean of the whole country, not just us individually. You know, is it better for us to have a, a country where our children are at risk? Is it better for the people of Chicago, the good and decent people of Chicago, all over that state, who know that this weekend, 10 or 11 people in their community might be murdered, including their children, in their own beds, sleeping, little ones. Is that in their best interest to vote for that? Or is it in their best interest to vote for a law and order mayor who's going to come in and crack down on the criminals? on the criminals in any community, right? Not everybody, not all the people against the criminals. Wouldn't that, wouldn't that have been a thing to vote for in like an overwhelming vote? But instead it went the other way. It went completely the other way. It even went further to the progressive to the left where you have a big defund the police guy who is against prosecuting criminals, who's against uh, people protecting themselves, right? 
it's just surprising to me. Um, and I think we're, we're learning more every day. And I know that sounds pessimistic. You're saying, Lieutenant Joe, that sounds a little pessimistic coming from you. And I'm not pessimistic. I'm just looking at the facts and I'm saying, I'm not seeing the facts in front of me. That You look at the polls. Joe Biden has a 32% approval rating, the worst of any president in the world. And if the election were held tomorrow, he very well might win. 53% to 47, right? He very well might win. And you ask yourself, who's voting for him? If we only have 33% approval rating, why would anybody vote for him? It shouldn't it be 70% of the country votes against him? But it's not. And that's where we have to ask ourselves, why is that? Will we vote in our own best interest or will we vote for these nebulous ideas, these hopes, these beliefs in hatreds? You know, what is it that we're doing out there? And that's kind of where I wanted to go. Will they vote in their best interest to people? All right. Now, along this, I think another another reason, you know, you hear people talk about all the time, if you control young people's minds and you control the narrative, you can control the future. Well, have you seen any of these things where they're down on the beach and the reporter saying, okay, so who won World War II? And you got these young people, early 20s, should know better, college, they're on college break, spring break, and they're like, um, Denmark? Yeah, no, not Denmark. Who won the Civil War? Um, Cuba? They have no idea. Person after person. Of every different kind of person, you can imagine. Every different kind of person. Um, none of them had any clue of, of, of American history. Or, or, you know, the Constitution. How many amendments are there to the Constitution? What's the first ten amendments? What's that called? They have no idea what that's called. They have no idea about America because we don't teach American greatness anymore. We teach America is bad. America is racist. America is horrible. America has to change. Capitalism is bad. And that's what these kids are espousing. And all of this points to a future that we had better wake up about. We better be clear on it because it's happening to us. You know, we're like the frogs in the pot and the water's starting to warm up and it feels okay. But when it gets too hot, it'll be too late. All right, so listen, I'm going to end our program today. I'm going to tell you real quick about Healthy Cell. I hate to put it at the end here. I should have put it earlier and I forgot. But Healthy Cell, uh, if you're looking for something to help your immune system, make yourself feel better, check out Healthy Cell Immune Boost. And if you can't sleep, do like my cousin Stephen. Get the REM sleep. You'll feel better for it. All right, so listen, a lot for us to think about today. I appreciate everybody being here. Uh, We're going to see if we can get Captain Barry in here this week. Uh, In the meantime, remember, be a part of the solution, not a part of the problem. We'll see you down the road.